0: Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running an independent record label. As an independent record label, supporting and coaching indie artists, it's crucial to understand the different types of music releases and their significance and maybe even their history. So in today's episode, we're gonna dive into the definitions of singles and EPs and albums, and then kind of like look at their individual characteristics to help you determine which format would be most suitable for your artist's needs and goals. Now I'm going to put all the notes from today's episode. And if you prefer to watch this as a video, you can see my beautiful, handsome Canadian face. Then go to otherrecordlabels.com format. That's otherrecordlabels.com slash format. What I love about this series we're doing right now, where we're asking all sorts of super specific record label questions, is that these are legit questions I've had emailed to me over the years. A question like, should I release a single, an EP, or go write for a full-length album? That's something that seems like a stupid question. Um, like, just do whatever feels natural, but it's not a stupid question. And a lot of artists and labels, no matter the size, do need to be strategic and think through a lot of these things. If this song is really great, and maybe a big summer hit, do we give it its own release as a single with a video, etc.? Or... Do we hang on to it so that it makes a full-length album more appealing, or should we bundle it with some other new songs and make it an EP? These are not bad questions, and questions that record labels deal with every day. So, you're in the right place, and we're going to take the mystery out of singles, EPs, and albums, and how to know what to do and when. Demystifying things is what we try to do here, just like our friends at Infinite Catalog, a royalty management software who just so happened to be the sponsor of today's episode. Another... Incredible coincidence. A big shout out to them for supporting our show and our community over the years. Um, we' I find you know, other record labels and myself and and the folks over there were so alike and I consider these guys friends. But I think our shared value of sharing information that was previously protected by gatekeepers, that's what I value most about our relationship. But now, like you know, for them, it's like making royalty management accessible to record labels of all sizes. I think that's super cool. Something that didn't exist when I was getting started thirteen odd years ago. And there's no one better than them. So to learn more about them, we won't we won't hang out here too long. But to learn more about them and how they help you manage all of your income sources and keep your artists in the loop and get paid, go to infinitecatalog.com/slash other record labels. Now, if you go to infinitecatalog.com slash other record labels, and there's a link in the description. You can get a demo of how it all works, and you can also get a discount that's exclusive for our community. So check them out at infinitecatalog.com slash other record labels. Let's take a look at the three most common vehicles for music. The single, the EP, and the album. I want to talk about what makes each one unique and what each delivery type offers your record label and your artists. We're going to define these because there's no stupid questions and maybe some of you like myself have used the term ep for a decade or so and been like what the heck is an ep and then let's kind of blue sky all three of these release types and try to understand when a standalone single makes sense or if this group of songs should be an ep or a more serious lp an album so let's talk about singles which are standalone songs released individually these are typically the most common format for artists especially in the digital age And there's been a lot of talk recently about should we all just switch to singles and do away with any sort of collection of songs? The short answer to that is no. (laughs) That's not happening. Even the biggest and kind of youngest and trendiest artists are still doing records, thank God. In the music industry, a single is referred to as a standalone song that is released independently or as a preview of a larger project. It is a self-contained musical composition meant to be enjoyed on its own, And we do that nowadays on playlists, but we used to do that on the radio, either forever as a standalone or temporarily until it's reunited with the album for which it's previewing. Singles are typically shorter in length and are accompanied by promotional efforts to generate interest and reach a wide audience. A promotional campaign for a single is typically a little more restrained than a full length or even an EP. It may still have a music video. um, It may have a big playlist push, a PR push even. But it may not include things like merch, a tour, or even some blogs uh, and editorials don't bother writing about singles, I've noticed. In the past, singles were primarily released in physical formats such as vinyl or cassette singles um, or CDs on those super thin cases, often accompanied by a B-side like a bonus track that's been unreleased or another cut from the record. It harkens back to the 50s and into the 60s before the album was commonplace. The 12-inch record was released by Columbia and allowed for more space on the record. But before that, you had the 45 and the 78 that could really only fit one song on each side. And at the same time, in the 50s and 60s, you actually had albums that looked like a leather or cardboard photo albums that would house a collection of 78s. But um, back in the day, it was very common to go to the record store and just buy one song that you heard on the radio. However, with the rise of digital music platforms, namely iTunes, and now streaming services, singles are are now predominantly distributed in digital formats. We very rarely see them physically, um, it, which makes them more accessible to a global audience. And for a lot of us small labels on a budget, it's a mostly barrier-free, cost-free way to share music. So they have multiple purposes depending on the content, t- context. Let's look at the three applications for singles that I see and that I use them for. Number one is pre-release singles. Artists often release a single as a teaser before the launch of a larger project. I generally recommend two to three, even more, leading up to an album as a way to give more album tracks their own special day in the sun and to leverage each song's opportunity for um, editorial playlists using Spotify for Artists, for example. Pre-release singles can create buzz or anticipation and gives the audience a taste of what's to come. I like this strategy because it elongates the album campaign in a sort of natural way. Some fans don't love it. I actually don't love it as a fan. I kind of just wait to hear the whole album. But I like it when, as an artist, when I've released two or three singles and people start to get a taste for the album, I personally see how it generates buzz if the tracks are good, if people are resonating with them. There is a downside to this a little bit. Like some fans don't like the prolonged album lead-ups and some fans will hear two or three songs and think maybe this album isn't for me and they don't even check it out on release day. Then there's the number 2 a use of singles is like the standalone hits. Some artists prefer to release singles without tying them to a specific album or EP. These standalone songs aim to capture the attention and generate immediate impact showcasing the whatever is super special about this song. This happens a lot in the summer I've noticed. Um people will try to release a, you know like a hit for the summer or maybe Christmas time. Um this happens when an artist feels really strongly about a song and thinks it has a ton of standalone potential. Perhaps they even feel that it might dwarf the rest of an album or perhaps the sound of the single isn't just is just a one-off and it's not necessarily a vibe that they have other songs to match. And then there's also the throwaway B-sides. In the past, B-sides were the additional tracks on a physical single. Uh, often considered less important than the a side in today's digital landscape artists can release throwaway b-sides as bonus content um, and as standalone singles offering fans something extra or experimental without the pressure of this needs to do well we need to recoup our costs because it's kind of like the costs are built into making the record i love this approach when I'm working on a record, I inevitably have 13 or 14 songs that have been recorded, almost mixed to completion, but usually only nine or 10 end up on the record. So this is now, it's it's an intentional strategy because I know one or two of these songs can be used a few months after the album is out or even a year later as this intentional plan to keep the album at top of mind and to allow me to keep promoting that record with Using this B side. And I like it because it's a free kick at the can. There's no pressure with these songs. And my throwaway B side, uh, a song I don't even like, I just released um, about eight months ago from a previous record. Uh, It came out, sorry, it came out uh, well over a year ago, but it was eight months after the record. It's a song I really don't even like. And I released it um, a few months after the record, almost a year after the record. And for some stupid reason, it got a bunch of playlists and now it's outpaced all of the songs from the proper album. Like, what gives? I don't understand it. But that's what's cool about these throwaway singles is it's like, yeah, let's just, you know, here's a remix version or here's something that it's a B-side was never released. And then they come on and take a life of their own sometimes, which is cool. Let's move on to EPs or extended plays. Um, They're a collection of songs that are longer than a single, but shorter than a full-length album. So an EP... is short for extended play, which is weird because we think of it as like a truncated album, right? So why extended? Well, it's extended because it would be longer than just one song. It's a musical release that contains more tracks than a single, but fewer than an album. It's a versatile format that provides artists with an opportunity to showcase music in a concise and super focused manner. Um, There's no strict rule regarding the number of tracks on an EP. It typically ranges from three to seven songs, but... There are some hard and fast rules used by certain DSPs. Generally, um, an EP is less than thirty minutes and/or less than six songs. So you could have two songs and be forty-five minutes, and that I think would be considered an album. In the case of like classical music, but if you had six songs and and there was twenty-nine minutes, then that's an EP. Now, for some genres like punk, you might say, "Look at this is a six-song record or a seven-song record or whatever." and it's 29 minutes, and we, we're considering this like a proper full-length album. Well, oftentimes Spotify or iTunes will automatically categorize it as not an album. They'll call it an EP. That sucks. Maybe that they'll change that one day. Um, yeah, So, and you've probably seen too, like Apple and I, iTunes will tack on a dash EP to the end of your album title, which is kind of annoying. So here's how EPs can provide labels and artists with a unique canvas for releasing music. Um, there's three... I see three ways. Number one is budgetary reasons. EPs can be cost-effective for artists, especially those starting out on a limited budget. Releasing a smaller collection of songs allows artists to showcase who they are, but without like a financial commitment or a creative commitment for a full album. Now, keep in mind, distribution and manufacturing typically cost the same, regardless of how many songs are on the release. But generally, this is a way for artists and labels to save money in the recording mixing and mastering stage it's also worth noting that there's nothing wrong with releasing an ep and then another ep and then combining those into an album down the road there's also the application of experimental versions or um, experimental expressions with an ep they provide an opportunity for artists to explore different versions of their songs such as live recordings or remixes These alternate takes can offer fans a fresh perspective on familiar tracks, adding value to the overall release, like we kind of mentioned with the B-sides and singles. They're generally digital only. I've done, um, I haven't seen too many physical um, EPs, but no, that's not true. I mean, they can be, especially on on cassette or on CD, Um, but they're generally digital only. I've done an EP... Um, with like five or six versions of the same song. And so I'm not going to press that or, or make a CD of that, but it's kind of a fun a little behind-the-scenes thing to offer fans through digital. It's one of the funnest formats for me, um, and, and one of the like fun uses of the EP that I enjoy, especially when it's digital only, is just to kind of like release some B-sides or some interesting things. There's no rules, and there's really no expectations with them. And also in kind of like the the other application of an EP is introducing the band to the world. And this is a little bit, dates back a little bit, maybe 10 or 20 years ago. But EPs often serve as an introduction to an artist or a band. They allow musicians to showcase their range and their style and their versatility within this like super introductory concise package. It's a chance to make a strong first impression or maybe just to like meet listeners And one of the early ways that record labels would introduce a band back in the 90s and early 2000s was through an EP. And again, a smaller initial investment on production costs. Maybe the artist didn't have that many songs written. A great example would be, I think maybe 10 or 12 years ago, Carly Rae Jepsen got started with a debut EP and that it was just essentially the hit song, Call Me Maybe, plus a few other deep cuts and then a cover. And I think it was still maybe only six or seven songs. Okay, finally, we come to albums. This is the flagship release of an artist. Again, this is my opinion, what I've noticed from the majority of record labels, but you might say, listen, we're going to use an album to promote something as a throwaway, whatever. We're going to have like all of our hopes and and expectations into an EP, whatever. But generally, an album is a flagship release for an artist. They're pretty self-explanatory, so we don't need to spend too much time explaining an album, but there's a few key identifiers when it comes to albums um, and what releases should get the full album treatment? So for me, and one of the things that I've noticed, and one of the things that I practice is this idea of like a canonical, canon, canonical flagship release. How do you say that word? Canon, canon, canonical. Anyway, canonical. You're gonna have to text me a voice message and let me know. This is basically albums that are the most comprehensive and significant musical offering an artist can present. These are like the pinnacle for me. As a creative and as a label, they provide a platform for a cohesive body of work, allowing artists to showcase their creativity and their depth and to kind of create, paint this like big picture, this big overall, it's like a film. You know what I mean? Like there might be like an EP is like a short film. A single is like a commercial and a full length album is like a two hour film that gets nominated for an Oscar. Hopefully, you know what I mean? Another thing, another key identifier about an album is, for me, is it's something that's released every two to three years for an artist. Albums typically require more time and investment than singles or EPs. They're often seen as a milestone in an artist's career, marked by a substantial amount of material and meticulous planning and pruning. Artists usually take two or three years between albums to craft a cohesive and impactful project. On that same note, and we'll address this in a more detailed um, episode later in this series, but I know a lot of labels who consider how much work releasing a full length is, and it's something that they only commit to once a month. Tops, maybe maybe once a quarter is most common I'm seeing. Maybe two a year, um, one in the fall, one in the winter. Um, Even like doing one full-length album each year is a totally fine goal for labels when they're getting started. And then the other qualifier, too, is that a a record, an album is a major investment. And then there's often a major return expected. Albums usually involve greater financial investment, including recording costs and production expenses and marketing and distribution. So record labels and artists expect a significant return on this investment because it's something that only happens every two to three years. There's a bit of scarcity in the minds of the fans. And so this is a big special event. We're going to invest a lot of money into it. And hopefully it, it produces, you know, in the old days, an artist would potentially live off of the money from merch and album sales and the single and the touring around an album. And that should be spread out over the two or three years until they come out with another record. Um, and so, you know, as albums often generate more revenue than say singles or EPs, um, there's usually that expectation. So there you have it. In this complex world, we have singles DPs, and albums and each have their own place. And I'm not, honestly, if you're asking me which one's better, I'm not gonna answer that. Well, albums, there you go, I answered it. (laughs) But there is kind of a hierarchy, right? The way I've I've described this, there is some sort of like hierarchy. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but that's just my opinion. It's essential to consider the context and the purpose of a release. That's what's most important. Whenever you're dealing with uh, which format is most suitable for your artists, Singles are versatile and effective for building buzz, while EPs are a little more cost-effective and an experimental option. Albums serve as the pinnacle of an artist's musical journey in that time period, demanding a little bit more investment, but yet delivering a little more comprehensive body of work. Understanding these distinctions and the strategic advantages of each format will enable you, as an independent record label, to guide and support your artists in making informed decisions about their releases. By carefully selecting the appropriate format, artists can effectively connect with their audience. They can work on building their fan base and hopefully make a lasting impact in the music industry. And And maybe some of the singles get forgotten. Maybe the EPs are eventually removed from streaming because they were just a, a seasonal thing and then the albums last a little bit longer. But understanding this and kind of working through this with your artists I think is super important so you want to find out why they want to release this one song as a single or why they are dead set on an EP go through everything we spoke about in today's episode over a cup of coffee with your artists that should help you and your artists make informed decisions go to other format to get the notes from today's episode or to watch this episode as a video and of course Connect with our friends at Infinite Catalog to learn more about how they can help you simplify your royalty accounting. Go to InfiniteCatalog.com and if you want a tutorial on how it all works and a special discount, go to InfiniteCatalog.com slash OtherRecordLabels. That's InfiniteCatalog.com slash OtherRecordLabels. Thanks for listening.